I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and we're joined today by a true championship legend. He's got 436 second tier appearances to his name, three promotions to the Premier League over a 22-year career. He's even got 206 Premier League appearances under his belt as well. It's former Watford, West Brom, Bolton and Birmingham defender Paul Robinson. Paul, how are we? How are we doing, Ryan? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. Good stuff. Good stuff. I mean, you've had such a long and eventful career that I'm afraid this is going to have to be a bit of a whistle-stop tour of your career. So I apologise in advance to anyone who's a supporter of a club you've played for who thinks we didn't cover their club enough. There's just so much we need to cover. So we may as well kick things off right at the start because you started your career at Watford, where you're from, and uh, your professional debut came against Luton. Of all teams, uh, when you were 17, you came in as a second-minute sub, which is a it's a bit of a baptism of fire, isn't it? It is when you're only 17, yeah, and it's your debut as well at the same time. So, um, yeah, really, really good memories for me, obviously. I um, wasn't nervous at all. I was more excited and, and couldn't wait to get involved, but not expecting to get on after two minutes. That was the surprise for me. But again, when you get on that early, you have no time to think. So you just go straight into it, ready to go. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I imagine. But was it a bit of a feisty affair? Well, they are because it's your local rivals. So, you know, for a fact, when you go into them games, um, it's going to be fiery. There's going to be challenges flying in. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of sledging, as you'd say, in cricket towards each other and giving each other a bit of banter. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, for me, it was a yeah, it was a great wake up call from such a young age to, to what professional football was all about. Yeah, well, I can imagine 17 and going into that kind of environment just seems mad to me I mean I'd be intimidated now and I'm 29 so uh, when you were kind of in the first team fold of things I mean playing at that age 17 and playing first team football uh, was there kind of an initiation kind of thing going on there with the senior players oh yeah the like the initiation stuff with the with the senior pros there was always to keep you on your toes because as a young lad they never wanted you to get above yourself or um, a little bit big-headed so there was always there was always stuff that they'll do if you went over the line and you pushed the boundaries. Obviously, Andy Hesson Tyler was my boot boy. So if I messed up on his boots, there was always a punishment that he'd give me, which would be probably um, going in the cold bath for two minutes or getting tied to the goalposts at Vicarage Road with just my pants on. So things like that, yeah. Or you'd go into a dark room and and get beaten up or the balls kicked at you. So yeah, you was always you was always kept on your toes at a young age. But for me, it was a it was a great upbringing and a, a life lesson of of when never to cross the line with senior pros. It's a different time, isn't it? Yeah, just a bit. 
just a bit now. You're not allowed to say too much now <laughs> to certain players because they get a little bit offended by it. So, yeah, uh, uh, football's changed a, a lot. <laughs> well, you, you can say that again. Um, I, I mean, when you were at Watford, it was uh, Graham Taylor who returned for his third spell at the club. Of course, massive Watford legends. How much of an influence did he have on your whole career? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, he had the start of my career was um, was fantastic for me to learn off the England manager, um, a Watford legend in his right of what he did for the football club. Um, Kenny Jacket as well, got to mention, Kenny was my youth team manager at the time. So him and Graham were the ones who were really pushing me on to, to make it in the first team and, and to, to drive me to the levels that I needed to as a, as a professional. But yeah, Graham was my mentor. He was um, someone that I um, always looked up to with respect someone I could always go and speak to um, about footballing, about footballing issues of how I could improve and how I could develop my game to being the player that I was. Um, and also along, like again, with, with Kenny as well, I do a lot of work with Kenny, Kenny Jacket on the grass where he'd help me positionally because we were both left backs. Um, so he would guide me in that position. So yeah, I, I had great mentors from such a young age growing up. Yeah, well, obviously you, you're a coach now. Do you think of some of the stuff that Graham Taylor taught you when um, you were such a youngster and put that into your coaching now? Yeah, you do. Because for me, you've got to have, um, you've got to have good, uh, a good relationship with your players. So you've got to understand how they're thinking sometimes, even off the field stuff. Now you've got to ask questions to just to check in to make sure that our families, like the young lads who have families nowadays. Um, so you've always got to be forward thinking with how the game's evolving and and yeah, I, I learned a lot of Graham of how to, to have that man management skill about me, uh, to have respect for the player you're working with is, you know, that they're going to make mistakes, but it's how can we keep improving to, to, to cut in the mistakes to, to find margins. So, yeah, I learned, I learned a lot off Graham with how I needed to communicate to players. Yeah. What, what do you make of what's going on at Watford now? Because they're very much a mid-table championship club now, despite only being in the Premier League a matter of a couple of years ago. They seem to be trying to get away from the whole hiring and firing thing, don't they? But they're struggling a bit, aren't they? Yeah, they've been up and down. It's consistency and stability now for Watford. It's the the owner here has to look at where where what direction does he want the club to go in and and the manager that he's got there at the moment, Ishmael, he's got to give him time and he's got to give him the funds in January to bring in his own players because it's still not his team. It's still um, a team of, of different managers that have been there before. So whether he's going to get that back in, in January be, will be something to watch out for. Um, but yeah, at the moment, they're just, they, they are, they're very inconsistent with their performances and, and they've just got to try and find that right balance. And, and hopefully under Ishmael, and they give him time, he can find that where he had great success at Barnsley. Yes, obviously he had a little bit of a disappointment time at West Brom, um, but now at Watford he's got the opportunity to to prove a point and and to hopefully get the right team that he needs to take the club forward. And they've got some bloody good players at Watford as well, haven't they? So the fact that they're just you know a mid-table Championship side now who have an outside chance of going to the top six, it's it's, a, it's quite the downfall in the space of a couple of years, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, they've got um, they've got a great selection of players there. They've got a very good squad. But they, like you say before, they had they've always had very good squads. It's just it's just trying to find the balance of the team. The, the team's obviously always been a little bit indifferent with with certain players playing in different formations um, or or players playing out of position. But now it looks like Ishmael wants a certain way of playing. He wants the team set up how he wants it set up. And now he's just got to find that right balance of the right players being in their, in their own positions and, and playing to their full ability of what, what we know that they can do. 
Well, you left Watford in 2003 after several years at the club uh, to go to West Brom. Why did you decide to leave Watford? Uh, because the club was going into administration, so I really didn't have a choice. Um, I was just sitting at home on a Sunday evening. We just moved into our new house with my wife and my uh, newly born first child. Um, and three months into that, we got told that we had to move on. And West Brom had come in and put an offer in. I remember getting a phone call from the director of football at the time, Terry Byrne. Um, and he just said to me, he said, look, Robbo, he said, unfortunately, um, we've got to sell you. So you've got permission to go and talk to uh, West Brom tomorrow. Um, hopefully everything gets sorted out and, and you'll you'll go and play for them next Saturday in their, in their first league match. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as a player living and born and bred in Watford, you've got a young family you've just started. We've just brought a new house and both our parents were in and around the area. Um, yeah, we was in shock, and but I totally understood it was the right time for me to, to move on and understand that the club could really be in a situation that I didn't want it to be in because it was my club and where I was from. Um, so yeah, I, I drove up the M40 on the on the Monday morning, and when I met Gary Megson at the Hawthorns on 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 Monday mid afternoon for a chat and and to see where the club was going, and from then on really it was right. This is a bit of me, and this is my next challenge. So yeah, I want to grab it with both hands. So that's really how it sort of happened in that short space of time. Yeah, well, things went very well at West Brom, didn't they? In the in your first season under Gary Megson, you won promotion. Uh, what did you make of uh, Megson as a manager? Oh, he was a fantastic character. I'll give him that. Um, but again, man management to similar to Graham Taylor, but maybe a little bit more off the scales with his with his um, language, his colourful language, shall I say, that he liked to use. But no, he was brilliant <laughs> for me because he was my he was my type of manager. He was, he was old school, um, but he also trusted you as a football player, and he brought me to West Brom, which I was very grateful for. And he believed, and he saw in me that I was uh, I could add something different to West Brom, and. And yeah, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed working under Gary. Yeah, he had a bit of a mixed career after leaving West Brom, didn't he? And yeah. may I say, possibly came across as a bit of a joke figure in certain sections of supporters. Do you do you think that's unfair? And he was actually quite a good manager. Yeah, I think it's unfair because he was a, he was a really good manager, and it's you have success at certain clubs, and some clubs you don't have success. That's just the way football goes. It's the same as a player. You. You get brought for a lot of money and, and things don't go and work out how they want to work out. And unfortunately, you move on and that's and that's the way life is in football. So, yeah, I think the, the criticism towards Gary at times was was unnecessary. Um, but what he was, he was a winner and he brought a winningness to, to West Brom and he brought he brought a togetherness in the players in, in the changing room. And that's and that's what we all loved about it is that we, we had a real good togetherness as a group of people. Well, let's fast forward to West Brom in the Premier League because you were involved in the famous Great Escape of 2005, which is still one of the greatest moments in the Premier League as far as I'm concerned. Uh, what was it like being involved in that? Yeah, it was unreal. I mean, if you could rewind back to, to the occasion, to, to the build-up to it, it's, it just brings back loads of fantastic memories that you, that you had. Um, obviously, there was a lot of tension, a lot of emotions. Um, a lot of hard work, a lot of determination. And yeah, for, for the way it ended, I mean, it was just a relief. Uh, a relief for the club itself with the people working behind the scenes who could possibly lose their jobs because of um, the club getting relegated. Um, players moving on, like a real good group of players that that we could possibly lose. So yeah, I mean, the way that we'd done it and and, and, and just the, the atmosphere after was just, it was just something to remember for, yeah, for the rest of your life.
Remind me of how it, how it was. Was it the bottom five who were all still in danger of going down on the final day? Was it the bottom five or bottom six? Uh, bottom five, I think it was. Yeah, so it was the bottom five, but it was the Bo- bottom three that just kept changing all the time. I think yeah. uh, the two teams that were just outside and us, we were just outside the relegation zone. Um, we were just always flittering between, but they were two points ahead of us. So we knew it was really the bottom yeah. four that was... It could have been out of any of them. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was one of those days where you just didn't want to listen to what was coming from the crowd because you just needed to focus on what you were yeah. trying to do, and that was winning your game, which we did against Portsmouth. But we had no idea what was going on elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think we'll ever see anything like that happen again? I vaguely recall, I think it was two thousand and eleven when Blackpool were in the in the Premier League. There was a similar kind of relegation battle then, but. I don't think we'll ever see a relegation battle as crazy as that on the final day, will we? No, no, I don't think so. You, yeah, you, there's not many teams now. I say, I think that because the leagues expanded so much, the financial side of it, um, you're always going to see the bottom three down there will will always possibly go down. That's just the way it is now at this moment in time. But yeah, I think during my time there was always that. Um, yeah, you always had the top ten that was always away from each other. But then you got ten, 10 downwards was always the battle for fighting for relegation or staying mid-table. So, yeah, it was always interesting. Yeah, yeah. Good times, I say. Yeah, times. Am I right in saying you nearly moved back to Watford in 2006? Uh, there was, yeah, there was there was conversations, but nothing from my side. Um, I think it was uh, Watford had inquired about me under A.D. Boothroyd to bring me back, but West Brom were having none of it. Um, Jamie Peace, the owner, he was a, a very good owner and very respectful and he just said no. He said he went, Paul's a key player at, the, at West Brom and, and that's where it ended. Uh, so it never moved any further. But yeah, I never ever got into any discussions where I could possibly be moving back to Watford. I think um, a majority of it was hyped up in the media really with a paper talk. If the move did happen, would you have fancied a move back down south? Um, yeah, it's my club. I'd love to. I'd, I'd still love to go back now at, at any point in the coaching um, capacity because... I'd love to go back and, and, and finish where I started as a, as a player. So, yeah, that'd be nice. And it's, it's a great club. It is a great club. It's, uh, now it's in a rebuild phase again by the looks of it. And I hope there's stability there. And, yeah, I hope the club can move forward. And, yeah, one day, hopefully, I'd like to be a part of that. Mm. Well, you got relegated back to the Championship in 2006 with West Brom. And I need to ask you about that following season in the second tier. Because how on earth did that 2006-07 team not get promoted because you had, of course, yourself, Kevin Phillips, yeah. Zoltan Gera, Jonathan Greening, Curtis Davis, Jason Kumas, John Hartson. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be one of the best teams to not get promoted, isn't it? It was that year and it was devastating. Obviously, we lost in the playoff final to Dar- uh, Derby at the time. Um, obviously, Darren Moore went across from West Brom. So he went over to Derby yeah. and he ended up being on the winning side. But yeah, like you say, I, it's just football. It's, the group of players we had, because obviously Brian Robson left um, just towards the start of the season when we were doing really well. Um, and unfortunately, the the board and, and Brian had come to the conclusion that they were going to part ways. And then obviously Tony Mowbray come in, who, um, again, for me, was one of the best managers I've ever worked for on a footballing level. He changed the style of football. He, ch- he changed the players' mentality to, we can actually do this and this is the way we play. And... And yeah, we'd beat ourselves up to this team that was scoring loads of goals, creating loads of chances, keeping clean sheets, 
and you get to the player final and you lose one nil and all them chances that we'd we'd been finishing off during the season and through the playoffs it it just all dried up in the final and it, yeah you just look back and you go wow I don't understand it myself but then the year after we lost obviously we lost uh, Jason Kumas we lost Damansi Kamara so we lost players that were scoring us goals and important yeah. players but we brought players in like Chris Brunt James Morrison and we just seemed to go from strength to strength with the, with the younger generation of players and it was no, it was a fantastic year the following year because we ended up then getting promoted. Yeah. What are your memories of that side? Because th- that was some team, wasn't it, who got promoted in 2008? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, well, we classed it as sexy football. I mean, the group of players that, 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 that were brought together was, it was a footballing team. We played out from the back. Um, we played how football should be played now when you look at the look you look at the game and the way it's evolved and the way the people move west brom was that and if people go back and watch them games they don't understand that we we were probably the start of it in a team sense of how we wanted to move the ball and how we played as a team and how we linked and and combined um it was just an unreal season to be a part of and yeah i mean goals were coming in from everywhere all all the team chipped in with goals um, and even when you've got players like Kev Phillips and Zoltan Giru who, who come in with 20-plus goals each themselves, it just shows you the quality that we had. I just want to take you back, actually, a season to um, Jason Kumas, who you were just talking about there. Yeah. I always found him to be a really fascinating player because I remember yeah. reading a piece about him which said he had the talent of Steven Gerrard, but not the mentality. Would you say that was fair? Um, with yeah, with Kumi, you probably would say that is just you, you. You just found him like frustrating at times. I think for me, frustrating because I used to play behind him as a left back, and he was always wide left in front of me. And I knew that every time I give him the ball, he would create havoc. He would cause so many problems, and he would score absolutely wonder goals. And even I'd look at him and I'd go, "What are you do? You're too good for this team. You you are a Premier League player." Yeah. Um, and that's what he was, but. I think it's a belief. I think with Kumi, obviously, he was he was a very quiet um, person. He kept himself to himself. Um, like you say, you worked with him on a daily basis on the training pitch, so you knew what qualities he had. But did he have it within, within himself to go on and further his career to what other people expected of him? I, th- I think Jace was just, he just liked being at that level of what he knew that he was really good at. And, and he accepted that he wasn't good at the other stuff which was the off-the-ball stuff or that laid-back mentality. But, he was, I mean, he was, yeah, he was a ridiculous player and I loved i loved playing alongside him in that West Brom team. He was, he was a, like, he was so good to play with. How good do you think he could have been then if he did work a bit harder on the training pitch and just in terms of work rate in general? I think he's definitely like a top six Prem team player. You look at like the likes of like the Liverpools, I know he's a really? massive Liverpool fan. Um, his son now plays for Liverpool as well so them expectations for me could he been he looks like he's like a type of Tottenham player he's very elegant on the ball he's, he can glide past players he'd, he'd suit the Tottenham team with how he played so yeah I always looked at him as that type of player but then he ended up signing for Wigan and that's no disrespect to Wigan because they had good players at the time but I just didn't feel that was him his level or his standard of player where he was going yeah Strange career, isn't it? Really strange career, really. Um, let's talk about your departure from West Brom then, because you left them to go to Bolton in 2009, 2010? Yeah, 2010, yeah. What, why did that come about? Um, yeah. I think it was just time to move on. I'd had seven years there as a player. 
Um, a lot of players had, had come and gone through the door. Players that I had real close relationships with, especially Kevin Phillips. I found that one tough when he left. Um, Zoltan then left. Um, I ended up leaving. Curtis Davis obviously ended up leaving. So, yeah, we, we had big players that had left the football club. So I could see a change. Di Matteo had come through the door. And I, and I wanted to stay in the Premier League. I wanted to make the most of playing as high as I could um, for as long as I could. And obviously, I just remember under Brian Robson when he said to me that I should have been an England, an England player under, under like the understudy of Ashley Carwell. And for me, that was my, my biggest ambition was to try and reach um, the England squad. But I, I, was, I knew that I was never going to do that in the championship playing with West Brom. So I knew I needed to go and, and, and change um, the way I was, where I was playing. And Bolton come in because obviously Gary Megson was the manager again. So he knew what type of player I was. He knew where I'd um, the levels that he'd got me to, and then where I'd kicked on to under Brian and under Tony. Um, so yeah, I think the clubs decided that it was a loan move to start with, and then in January, then it became a permanent with with Bolton, and I ended up having three years at Bolton. Yeah, and Owen Coyle was in charge there at the time. You fell out of favour under him. Mm. Uh, why was that? Um, I, maybe I wasn't Owen's type of type of player. Uh, character clash, maybe a little bit, is that I didn't quite take to the old laughy, jokey style of of the level that he was managing at, and and that, again, that's not being disrespectful. That's just me trying to be as professional as I can, and 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 I probably didn't look at the way that Owen was that character. That's probably why he got the best out of himself was the way that he acted and the way that he did things. I just couldn't quite get my head around it, and also my family never my family never moved up to Bolton. Um, they stayed in the Midlands, so yeah. And I'd had a young family at the time. I like I was having my fourth child. Um, my wife was heavily pregnant, and she was driving up up and down the M6, coming to Bolton and and coming to stay over in like our um, rental that we'd got in Nutsford. But it just wasn't. It just didn't feel right, and I just felt I just needed a change, and I needed to be back closer to home. What What was it like being at Bolton? Because if my memory serves me correctly, there was a lot of speculation about the financial future of the club. So was that quite distracting as a player? Um, it wasn't quite distracting for a player because um, I, I think a club like Bolton was always going to get sorted. It was it was always it was always run properly by uh, Phil Gardside and and Davis, the um, the the main owners, um, and they they sort of had real good control over it, but. Again, we had brought in players who would say financial fair play now with the wages that they were on would would push the club into them situations. Um, so yeah, we we did. We we signed a lot of players like Martin Petroff and and big players at night. Uh, Nigel Nigel um, Riacoca who came in as well, and and they would have been earning real good money. So maybe the club couldn't survive with them players being on them wages, knowing the position we were in and possibly going down to the championship. So. So yeah, I think it was it was time for a lot of a lot of senior players to then move on and look for different careers. So yeah, my mine ended up doing that, like a lot of the other players. And but unfortunately for Bolton, they ended up getting relegated back down to the Championship. Yeah, yeah, they did. And when you're out of the team at Bolton, you briefly had a stint playing under Neil Warnock yes. on loan at Leeds. So how was it working with a uh, old Neil? That was lively, very lively. That was an eye opener to seeing. Um, what... <laughs> Yeah, what what Neil's all about and um, and what he does, and you can see why he's had so much great success at all the football clubs he's been at is because he he motivates. He 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 tells you as it is. There's no black or white with him. It's straight. There you go. You're having that. 
Bosch. Um, so yeah, for me again, it was a it was a great insight to working with a manager that that has his own outlook on on being a manager um, and the way that he does things. So so yeah, the ten games that I had there, I mean, I loved it at Leeds. It was a the the support is phenomenal, the crowd, the travelling numbers, they get right behind you, and the quality of players that I played with. It was a, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good ten ten um, games to be involved in. Yeah, yeah. Well, you moved to Birmingham in 2012. You were initially only given a one-month contract and then another one-month contract and then a two-month, which is it's just a, quite the audition period, really, isn't it? So it seems quite mad, really, that you had that start and then went on to play the film for six seasons and left as a massive fan favourite. Yeah, I know. I think when you go into, when you go into teams like West um, Birmingham and the clubs that I've been to, you have to win the fans over. So obviously I'd played for West Brom, so there's no real rivalry between West Brom and Birmingham. But for me, it was um, when I go in there, I've got to prove my worth. Yes, I was 33 at the time. Um, I'd been out of contract for about three months, so I was training by myself and, and trying to get my um, my body up to a level where I knew I could cope again with championship football. Uh, Lee Clark gave me the phone call because they'd had um, a lot of defensive injuries. So he just said, look, I want you to come in. I want to have a look at you. Um, and it just went from there, and I'm I'm truly grateful for Lee for giving me that the the phone call and, and bringing me in. But yeah, it's it's just mad when you think that I was I was actually week to week to start with. It wasn't month to month. It was it was like a first week, then it was another week, then you got to the end of the month, yeah. and then they went right. We'll give you one month now. So I did that then for four months continuous until I'd signed to the end of the season, and then I got years after that. So. But that just shows my mentality and I'm not afraid to go in and prove a point. And yeah, I was a winner and I wanted to I wanted to win people over. And yeah, I won a lot of people over at Birmingham. But I also, yeah, I still haven't won a few people over from Birmingham because of my situation with Damon Johnson when I was playing there as a player. So, but that's football. People have their opinions and they see it from a different perspective and, and that's how they want to look at it. And then that's fine. I get it. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the Johnson stuff. That was a, after a heavy tackle, wasn't it? Yes. Um, what's been said about that since? Have you spoken to Johnson about that incident? Yeah, I spoke to I spoke to John T. I went in straight away to see him in the dressing room after the game, and I apologised. And I, there was no malice in it. It was just one of those things where we were both going for the ball, um, and he didn't want to. He didn't want to listen. So, which I, which I totally get because he was angry at the time. He was angry that he was going to be out injured, um, and I totally respect that. But my respect for the player that Damien was and, and, and the captains that we were, I wanted to show that I wanted to apologise for it and I didn't mean any harm to him and I didn't mean it in any way of, of that I was out to do him, which I wasn't because I'm not that type of player. Um, and yeah, we've spoke since. He's obviously, he's working at Blackburn um, with the first team and we've seen each other two seasons now when we've met um, and he's been good as gold and we've had good chats and it's it's great to see the job that he's doing at Blackburn with the younger players and, 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 and the... Um, the amount of kids that are coming through the system are all down to Damien with his work there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not going to disagree with you on that. Uh, you mentioned that Lee Clark was the manager at Birmingham at the time, and he was a he was a bit of a character, wasn't he? No, oh, he's a great character. He was. I've got a funny story about Lee, to be fair to him. Well, I've got a few, but the one that stands out was when we played Burnley at home at St Andrews, and we, we ended up drawing the game 3-3, where um, Federico Makeda scored the, a 93rd-minute equaliser. And we're all obviously celebrating mm. on the pitch and we've turned round and we've seen Lee Clark running up the touchline and then all of a sudden he starts kicking the hoardings, going mental. And we're looking at him going, what's the gaffer doing? 
he's put his foot through the hoardings. So the game's finished three three. We've got in the dressing room after the game, and like he's 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 going mad. He's like, yeah, buzzing, great point, lads, really good point in the end. And and we were going, we're like Gaffer, we just want to know what what were you thinking running up and down the touchline, and like you just smashed the hell out of the hoardings and you put your foot through it. And he went, I'm not bothered about the hoardings. I'm more worried about my new trainers I brought and the scratches I put on them. It was just like, you're sitting there going, what a guy. But that's the type of passion that Lee had. He, he, he was a winner. And like you could just look at his career with what he's achieved over his career. He was a, he was a leader. He was a winner. And, he, and people don't understand that when you're a manager, the pressure that is on you as a manager to deliver um, results um, and to move up the leagues and to get promoted there's so much there's so much pressure to be on the manager and he he just showed his emotions was his excitement in the way that he acted and yeah he just he cared and he wanted to do really well for Birmingham yeah and we saw those emotions with that Paul Callis goal which kept Birmingham up in yeah. the last minute for me one of the greatest moments in championship history purely for the limbs alone mm. in the in the away end when yeah. <laughs> when that goal went in uh, you're on the pitch at yeah. the time uh, how was that moment that was a, again that was um, another moment that stands out in your career of being right up there with the best i mean it's 2-0 down away at bolton um getting relegated to possibly league 1 the club with the with the way that the club was um, administration liquidation no one ever knew no one ever will know the full story of where that situation could have gone and just to fight back in the character again of the team spirit and the mentality of the players to to show that when you wear that shirt you wear that shirt with pride and and passion and the fans the numbers when they turn out and they support you and and the crowd we took to Bolton on that day was I think it was about three thousand Birmingham fans we took up there. And they just sang when when they sing "Keep Right On." It's the best. It's the best song that you'll hear all in around football grounds at home and away. It just echoes, and it means something. And as a player, when you hear that, you get goosebumps, and you get this is why I play for Birmingham City Football Club. And we knew we had to up our game, and we knew we had to fight, and we had to come back. And yeah, I mean that Paul Caddis ninety ninety four was it ninety four minute equaliser. You, you just yeah. couldn't write it and. I mean, yeah, just at the end, the celebrations again, even Lee Clark running into the, into the crowd, you're going, where are you going? What are you doing? But it's just, <laughs> again, the pure emotions of what football's all about and what it does to you. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an, a, an unbelievable, unbelievable day. But again, one, a club like Birmingham status should never be in. They should never be, they should never be at them, in, in them positions they're a team that should be fighting, trying to win promotions back to the Premier League because of the stature of the club and the way it, and the way it was before in previous times. And yeah, it's sad to see it over the years, especially when I was there as a coach as well. It's it's just always teetered on relegation, and I'm hoping now with the with the Rooney area that it picks up and it changes and and the club looks forward to to going for a promotion. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. to fast forward to Gary Rowett at yes. Birmingham who did a great job by all accounts guiding them to two top half finishers had them in seventh in the championship in his third season in charge before he was infamously sacked possibly the most bizarre sacking in championship history what do you remember from that whole saga first of all how did you find out about the news uh, the news we got told in the morning. So we, we got brought in on the Wednesday. It was our day off and we got told we had a meeting. So we all come in on our day off, um, all waiting in the meeting room. Um, and the director of football, the secretary, club secretary, um, she was in the room and she said, look, um, we've got to wait. The manager's coming in. Um, he wants to speak to you all. So we're all sitting there going, "What? what's going on? We just beat Ipswich the night before, the Tuesday night. We're beating 2-1 at home. Um, so as far as we knew... There was there was nothing really going on apart from is the manager going to another club that we we don't know about. Um, so yeah, Gary then walks through the door and he's uh, he just said to us, we all sat down. And he just said, look lads, um, I just want to let you know that um, I've been sacked. So the room just goes quiet and in shock. You what? What are you talking about, Gaffer? You've just been sacked. We're like seventh in the league. Uh, what? Why have you been sacked? He said, the owners have sacked me. I can't give you any more details on that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there's a new manager coming in and we, we didn't have a clue. I don't think Gary was allowed to tell us who the new manager was um, at the time. Um, but for us, it was like, wow, has this really just happened? So so yeah, and then obviously Gianfranco Zola come, come in through the door and yeah, all that hard work that Gary had put in and the players and, and the style of football that we were playing... Um, I think the owners had made the decision that they wanted a new style of football and an attacking style of football. Uh, they wanted to take the club forward in, in trying to win promotion, playing um, a totally different style. So, so yeah, that was the decision made. And, yeah, we, we had to sort of try and get our heads around it, but but try and move forward as quick as possible, knowing that, that Gianfranco was coming in to take the team. Yeah, and... It didn't go very well, did it? <laughs> Two wins in 24 games. Um, why did it go so diabolically wrong under Zola? Probably I think he tried to change it too much too quickly. Um, maybe listening to too many people. Um, and, and and don't get me wrong, Joe Franco, I mean, what an unbelievable guy he was as well. He was such a genuine, nice guy. And you could sit and talk to him for hours about football. And he would give you every detail and he'll talk through every formation on how he wanted it to work and how he wanted it to, to play. And and I don't think, I think he struggled with the balance of the squad. I think that that's really where it sort of had its toll in the end. And then January, he tried to change that 
but then we still had the old players that were there um, and it was that balance. We, we, we could never find it out. And we all know in football is when confidence is low, when results are not going your way, it's a tough place to be in. Um, and it's and, and it's hard to try and find and get them results that you need because other teams then that you come up against will know that we're we're mentally we're struggling and we're 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 fragile at the moment and teams would hit us early and early goals would be conceded or silly goals would be conceded and yeah you could totally see the mindset change as soon as we conceded the goal you we we totally went the opposite way instead of fighting and and coming out and and having another right go for it. So yeah, I, I just I found it really tough with Gianfranco just because in the fact is he was just such a great guy, but also it was it was hard footsteps to follow in what Gary Rowett had installed in the players and the team at the time. Yeah. Well, of course, this season we've seen Birmingham make a very similar move to the whole Rowett Zola thing with John Eustace when they're in the playoffs getting sacked and bringing in Wayne Rooney. What did you think of that when they made that move? Um, brave. Thought it was very brave at the time when they'd done it, um, but you got to give credit to to John for what he did there. But you also got to look at his record, and I think some players will sit on the fence, and some fans will sit on the fence of it. Is that their record before the two wins before John left were not very good, and he was on a bit of a, a lull with the results there, and then obviously Wayne's come in, and it's it's only what he's had five five games and he's drawn one, lost four, so it it doesn't look good, but. Again, this is a transitional period for Wayne. Um, he's he's getting to understand the players. He's also getting close to January where he can have his input on on how he wants the team to look and, and how he wants the team to play. So he's got to be given time. The owners are fully backing him. They're, they're, they're new owners who believe that they can take the club forward. So you've got to give them respect and you've got to give them um, the support that they need. And, and and the fans as well. I know it's it's hard for fans to accept at the moment, but they've also... They got to get right behind Wayne, and and as soon as that first win comes, then hopefully that there's a weight taken off the shoulders of everyone, knowing that they can do it and they can move forward and they can start start, start winning a lot more games. Yeah. Well, after retiring, you became the lead professional development coach at Birmingham, which meant you were overseeing the under 18s. Yeah. So, I assume you were coaching a young lad called Jude Bellingham. Um, was he quite handy? He was a uh, yeah. He was quite handy at the time, even at the age of fifteen. Um, yeah, I wasn't. I was. I was lead under 18s my second year. My first year, I was assistant under twenty threes manager with um, under Richard Bill, um, and that's when we first. That's when first. That's when we first started working with Jude individually and also with the team, because um, obviously we were building um, him up as a player to get him to the levels that we wanted him to get to to under twenty ones football. And then we were then building him from then on to go into hopefully, which was as we've seen the men's football of Birmingham, which he um, very easily done for such a young age. Um, but what an incredible <laughs> talent! I mean, the mindset of the player um, is the best I've ever seen from such a young lad. His uh, commitment, his dedication, his willing to learn, his understanding of the game as well at such a young age—it's frightening. It, I, I don't think I'll ever witness anyone that will ever have that in such a young player at the, what was he 15 at the time he was. And he was just, he was phenomenal, but the ability, obviously he was still understanding his body because he wasn't quite there with his strength. Um, his balance was unbelievable with both feet. He was very good. Um, so we, technically we were working on, like you say, his touches, his heading, his timing of his runs into the box, 
Um, and gradually, as you've seen, as his career's gone on now to where he's at now, it's he just looks the complete package. And he is, he's a leader. He's He's got the winning mentality of to lead. Um, and he will be a captain one day. He will be, for me, he will be the captain of possibly Real Madrid if he stays there for a long time. Uh, but I definitely see him as captain of England one day because he has that mindset and he has that mentality to, to, to lead from the front. Still strange to think that he's now at Real Madrid, arguably the best player in the world. And a matter of just four seasons ago, he was playing at the championship. It just yeah. still blows my mind, really, yeah, that uh, we were witnessing what we were. Yeah, really is. Um, well, you were until very recently a coach at Millwall, weren't yes. you? You literally left just over a week or two ago, wasn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, we, yeah, did, uh, yeah. Did Gary Rowett's departure come as a shock? Yeah, Gary's was, yeah, because we never knew nothing about it. Um, obviously, you never know what goes on behind the scenes. As a coach, um, you, you, you do, you, you, you're sort of planning for games and it was international break. We had, so we had Hull at home on the Saturday uh, in the 2-2 draw. We then were given a few days off just to go and spend time with families. Um, obviously, I'm in the Midlands and I was um, travelling back and forth to London and staying down at times um, while, while working at Millwall. And Gary was the same. Gary's, um, he was from the Midlands. And I think the time being away from the family, especially his youngest, um, I think it was getting to him. Um, and, and there is in times in football where pressure away from your family takes its toll. Um, and, and, and you miss out on them times. Like I missed out with my time with my boys, um, especially my two youngest who are now 12 and 14. It's, you don't realise because you're so ingrained in your job with what you're trying to do and how you're trying to make the team work and, how you're trying to help individual players, you forget about your own your own life and your own family time. Um, so yeah, the Gary situation was out the blue, but you could understand it. You could understand that he was um, he was he, he was missing his family. But we, you've also got to appreciate what a great job he's done at Millwall over the four years he's there and the stability that he's given the team and and the narrow misses that we we missed out on playoffs, um, especially last year. I think that was the the hardest one missing out to Blackburn. Um, and and losing that last game four three and and missing out, um, it, yeah, it, it hits you hard in football with with them situations. Knowing that it was probably the best year to get promoted, especially when you look at the playoff final between Coventry and Luton. It, it's you look at that and you were going, we were probably better than them two teams, but they managed to get in there through hard work and determination, and we just missed out on on losing silly games when we shouldn't have lost silly games. Well, was your departure from Millwall because of? Rabbit leaving? My departure was amicable. No, um, nothing to do with Gary. Obviously, the new manager, Joe Edwards, had come in with um, Andy Mises' assistant. Um, and the, the club the club knew that I wasn't um, with my family. They knew that I was travelling. They also knew that I was standing down and I wasn't around my family. But that but that wasn't their excuse. Um, for me, it was, it was about, it was the timing. Um, I could walk away from Millwall with my head held high. The, the nearly three years there that I'd, I'd achieved a lot. Um, I'd worked with some incredible people behind the scenes, staff and players, helping not only like individuals that I thoroughly enjoyed working with on the grass separately, but also the team ethos and also learning as off Gary what it's like to be a manager and, and where I want to be in the future of, of hopefully managing one day. That's that's my goal is to be given an opportunity to, to build my own team and have my own philosophy um, working on a daily basis and creating that atmosphere like I had as a player, but also picking stuff off at every manager that I've worked under. What, how do you think uh, Joe Edwards will do 
at Millwall? Because it's a very talented squad there, isn't it? It is a very talented squad. And um, before Joe took over, obviously, we had um, we had a tough four games with um, Adam Barrett and myself. It was Preston away. It was um, Blackburn at home on the Tuesday. Then we had Watford away. Then we had Southampton at home. So with the four games, it was a great challenge. But four games I really enjoyed and it brought the best out in me of where I wanted to get to. Um, and then the Joes obviously come in with Sheffield Wednesday. A lot easier game to come into, knowing that they're bottom of the league and they've got the worst record um, for conceding goals. Um, but I think, again, it's going to take time. He's a young manager. He, he'll have his own way of of um, of thinking, his own way of how he wants the team to play. Um, whether he keeps the same squad or whether he brings in a more youthful um, players from the Premier League because he's got them links from the clubs that he's worked at. Um, who knows? But yeah, I no, I wish him well. I hope it all goes well for him because it's a great club, Millwall. It's a it's a really good club, and it's a, it's a great club just because of the people that work behind the scenes there, and um and keep the club running the way that they keep it running. Yeah, as we say, this Millwall squad is very talented. I mean, for me, definitely capable of getting in the top six. And I could ask you about loads of players there, but I wanted to hear more about one in particular, and that's Romain Esser, who's. Yes. An 18-year-old who's featured in most games for Millwall this season. Very highly rated down at the Den. Just how good a player are we talking about here? Yeah, Romain, Romain could be top. He could be a very, very good player. Um, the thing with Romain is he's obviously he's in that in-between period because what people have also got to understand is that the Championship's probably the hardest it's ever been with the teams that are in there. Um, so Romain's got to understand that out-of-possession mm. stuff. So when he hasn't got the ball, it's being in the right positions, making sure he's helping his team out um, and he's and he's putting in the effort that he's he's doing his best for the team when they haven't got the ball. But when he's when he's got the ball, my gosh, what a player he's going to be. He's got he's got great composure. He's got great vision. Um, he's got an eye for a goal if he's given the opportunity um, in the in and around the box. He can beat players with ease. Um, again, I'd like to see him working with his right foot. He, he loves coming in on his left foot because he's strong left-footed, but he's got the ability to go on the outside as well. So I'd like to see him work on that side um, because I know he can do it, but obviously naturally you always tend to come back in on your left foot. But no, I have real high hopes with Romain, especially working with him closely um, over the last year or so. Um, he, but he's a, he's a fantastic lad, but he just needs to understand and, and work on the out of possession stuff, which will make him an even better player. Uh, what next for you as a coach, then, Paul? Uh, of course, you said that you wanted to go into management. If if that doesn't come about, and Gary Rowett gets another job somewhere, will you follow him as a coach? What's going to happen next? Who knows? I, who knows where football takes you? At the moment, I'm just enjoying my break, being with the family, watching my boys play football. Um, I've even come out of retirement and joined a Saturday league team with my lad who he plays for. Have you? So now I'm going to get the boots back on and uh, get myself running around again, which is which is lovely. I'm not going to say the team because I'll let I, I don't want to uh, don't want to give it away too much. Um, <laughs> but no, but for me, but for me, I, I I don't mind where I love the development side of it. I've always loved developing players. I've always liked helping the younger generation understand not only the game on the pitch but off it as well. Like the the mindset and the mentality of it is. It's a tough world out there. It's a tough industry, football. So you've got to be mentally strong and you've got to be mentally prepared for rejection. And that's that's the hardest thing with football is we see a, a lot of young lads who come out of the game because they've been told that they're they're not going to get a contract. They're not gonna they're not gonna um 
they're not going to go on any further with this with this football team. And that, and that's the hardest thing for a player to take because they've been there for so long. So it's about giving them confidence and, 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 and giving them the guidance that they need. So, yeah, I love the development side of it. But I also like um, the assistant manager's role, like having that responsibility and and, and um, working with, with first team players on a daily basis. And, and again, you, you also get the opportunity to work with individual senior players in that as well. So, yeah. Uh, for me, it's about building up your reputation as a coach in your CV to to try and to get to the levels of knowing that one day you you could become that that all rounded manager. I want to know more about you getting your boots back on. What what kind of level are we talking here? Is it semi pro? Is it just Sunday league or no Saturday league Saturday league team? So it's a uh, semi pro. So a bit a bit of fun, just uh, training on a Wednesday night and then uh, getting the boots back on on a Saturday. So so no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, especially because. I get the opportunity to play with one of my sons and I think that's everyone's goal in life is um especially being an ex footballer is that uh, that you you do you want to you want to enjoy the moments where you get time with with your lads um and I get the opportunity to train with one of my sons on a on a Wednesday and then play on the same team as is a Saturday so now I'm looking forward to it so watch out the Midlands area yeah <laughs> have you not played any games yet you still no, no games yet. I'm quite fit Still anyway. Day, I, I like yeah. my running, so I've just been running. Um, I do, I do a lot of running um, anyway. So since I've retired, I've always just from a men- mental health side of it. Um, for me, it's it's about staying positive and staying focused and 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 trying to get rid of the negativity. Yeah, so I like to keep myself fit. Um, but no, I've not played a competitive game since I retired, 2019. Oh, how about that? Do you, are you still going to be picking up as many yellow cards as you did when you were a player? <laughs> I probably won't get as close to them players nowadays. Uh, I think I no. I think I just uh, <laughs> I try and be I try and be calm, especially uh, I don't want to give my uh, son any bad habits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice one, uh, Paul Topman. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today, mate. No worries, Ryan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. We'll be back again on Thursday. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 